welcome to the AOL podcast. Let's dive right into this week's message. You can give that hand clap for Jesus if you want to. Come on. Is he worthy? Is he the King of kings and the Lord of lords? And he's promised that whatever you're going through, he has guaranteed to work it out for your good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. That's the best deal I've ever heard of in my life. Praise God, we live off of Romans 8 and 28, and it really does say all, A-L-L, things would work out to your good. So praise God. I see some of you wearing your cowboy hats. I, I, at our church sometimes, I preach in my hat, and I wear it to church and, and everything, so I couldn't figure out. When I first started evangelizing, I was like, is it Oklahoma where they wear their hats in church and Texas don't? Or is it the other way around? Then I figured out it was just church by church. Some churches would, some churches wouldn't. I was preaching one time, and I got real, real excited, and I just grabbed my hat and did a big hat toss across the congregation, and then about 100 more hats came up on the stage. They all threw their hats up there, so it was all, but praise God. Good to have my good friend, Ronnie Ferguson, with me tonight, and I preached for him, and we've been buddies, and Rode horses, gosh, he put me on that Johnson Ranch, and we, we stayed out there with him and uh, rode horses across that 50,000 acres or whatever it was. I thought, good Lord, I'll get lost out of here. Nobody ever find me. But uh, praise God, I was on an airplane a long time ago. I just thought about this. And this, you know, when you sit in an exit row, they'll have to ask you uh, if you, you have to give them a verbal yes, are you willing to help in case of an emergency. You have to give them a verbal, yes, I can help, or you can't sit in an exit row. And um, so one time, this is several years ago, I hadn't thought about this in forever, but they were, are you willing to help? Yes. Are you willing to help? And there's this old man sitting by the window. He said, sir, do you know you're sitting in an exit row and are you willing to help? And he didn't say anything. She said, sir, do you know you're sitting in an exit row? And he still didn't say anything, and I thought, Lord, he's dead. He was an old man. I mean, he, he looked like he was circling the drain when he got on. I thought, don't die here. So she got in his face again. She said, sir, do you know you're sitting in an exit row? He sat straight up and said, what am I doing in Mexico? So... If you believe that the Lord could come today, look at your neighbor and say, you might be sitting in an exit row. Come on, you all can help me preach a little bit this morning. Praise God. So happy to have my wife, Selena, with me and my son, Rio. Stand up, Selena, and show them the, the WLW, world's luckiest woman. Praise the Lord. And uh, my son, Rio, he's 12. Stand up, Rio. Stand up and turn around. He's, Rio's looking for a wife, so uh, he, I've told him, I said, you have mooched off of our family for 12 years. It's time for you to get married, get a job, you start supporting me, but I uh, can't talk him into it. I'll tell you something that happened, my, I have a 13-year-old son, he's about to turn 14 in a week or two, he's, he stayed in Oklahoma, he's roping, at a team roping there, so he didn't get to come with us, but Rio is the non-cowboy of the family, but he does a lot of other things. The one thing I, that he's interested in that when I retired from pro rodeo when I was 40, uh, when I walked around the locker room and all the other bronc riders were t saying, hey, Lawrence, my dad said tell you hi. Lawrence, my dad said tell you hi. 
Lawrence, my dad said, I was like, why is everybody telling me their dad? And I, I realized I was rodeoing with all my friends' kids. I was the only 40-year-old in the locker room. And so then I was like, yeah, it's time to go. But um, anyway, so when I, to, to wean me off a of pro rodeo, I did two things. I bought me a, a custom chopper, started riding motorcycles, and I got one applause. Thank you. And, uh, and I started going to a boxing gym, and I always wanted to learn how to box, but correctly, to do it with a sweet science of boxing and learn how to, didn't want to compete because I'd already had 11 concussions, but I just wanted to learn how to box. And so I did this and learned to box from the pros and, and to the point where they wanted me to teach. And so I would teach MMA fighters and stuff, boxing classes and all this. So I taught my boys uh, from an early age how to throw combinations and, and, and different, and, you know, to box correctly. It's easier when you start them young. So uh, they were at youth camp this past summer, and somebody told me that my little boy Rio got in a fist fight and punched the kid at, at youth camp. Well, I wanted to call and see what happened. So I called Elvis had a phone, my other son, and he said, Daddy, it wasn't Rio's fault. He said, this bigger kid came up and told Rio to get out of his chair, and Rio said, no, this is my chair. And he said, that boy got Rio in a headlock. And Rio said, if you let me up, I'll, we'll fight. He, he said this guy was sitting on him and had him in a headlock. So they got up, and this big boy come at him, and he said Rio drilled him. He said, and, and he said that was one punch, and that was it. That kid didn't want no, and Elvis said, well, I have a video. He said, I videoed it on my phone. And I said, well, all right, let me see it. So this kid, I said, well, for one, if your younger brother was fighting a bigger kid, what were you doing video, and why weren't you? He said, he said, I knew Rio could take him, but if he wouldn't have, he said, I would have jumped in. But them kids, they can have their phone out like that. I'm like, I can't even find my phone that fast, much less have the camera on. But So I, I watched it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Selena's like, what? I said, he threw a perfect left hook. I said, my gosh, look at that. I said, slow that down, slow that down. And, and he pivoted on his hips. He elevated his elbow. He twisted on his foot. I mean, it was per bang, and this boy just rocked him. And I said, I, I, call, I said, my gosh, it's one thing to do it with hitting punch mitts, but in a street fight to execute a perfect left hook, which is when you're calling out combinations, that's a three. A jab is a one. A straight right hand is a two, then a jab is three. You have to rotate your hips, your shoulder, elevate your elbow, all this stuff. So I said, out on the phone, I said, Rio. So Selena's, you know, with her. I said, I'll call you. I put Rio on the phone. I said, Rio, first of all, that was the most beautiful three I have ever seen. I said, it was perfect. You twisted on your foot. You, you rotated your hips. You elevated your elbow and nailed right on the button. I said, Good job, buddy. That was a perfect three. I said, but, but. Selena's like, yeah, yeah, the but. I said, never, ever, ever throw a three without following with a two. You always follow with a two because your hips, you were set up for it. You were here. All you had to do was twist like that here and rotate this. You know, she, my, my wife was like, What? What? She goes, I thought you were going to say never punch a kid at youth camp, but hey, I'm the dad, you know. I'm like, I said, if you would have followed it with a two, you would have dropped him, you know. And she, she's like, 
you have horrible parenting skills. Give me the phone. But anyway, nice job, Rio. But don't ever do it again. Praise God. So I'm thankful to have my family with me. And, um, you know, I have some CDs back there, as Travis said. And I might play. Do you, do you all have that Giants Are Falling video in the, in the deal? Instead of singing, I might just show a video before I preach, if that's all right, if they have it. I don't trust this IT stuff. I don't understand. You got it? I trust you. All right. Would you all care to watch a video that we did when Roe v. Wade was overturned? Praise God. Were you all rejoicing about that? All right, watch this, watch this video. Turn it up. to age he's never 
Praise God. How many of you know God's got the last word? We're going to see more giants fall. When this thing began to happen a few years ago, God spoke one word to me. When I got down and prayed, he said, Haman. Some of you know what that means. And I got up in our church immediately and told them that God told me that they were going to be like Haman. They were going to hang on their own gallows for what this WHO and the world, you know, all this stuff that they're trying to do. With God, but hey, it's exciting to me. Even so, come Lord Jesus, because we know that the church are the winners. We know that God's people are going to win. And just, I, I can't believe some churches didn't celebrate or even mention the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And I know it's still a fight. I know it's not a done deal by any means, but uh, it was so huge. And the the young 15-year-old black boy that was playing the, the fiddle in that song, um, he was supposed to be aborted, and his mother actually came to our church. She was hiding her pregnancy from her, her mother because her mother was demanding that she get an abortion, and she didn't want to have an abortion. So at eight months pregnant, she came to my mom's place called the Darling Bishop Home for Life, home for pregnant, unwed mothers. She came there and had Lincoln, and put him up for adoption, and my old youth pastors um, adopted him, and Lincoln grew up in our church, and he plays every instrument as good as he plays that violin, and he's brilliant. 
and he was almost aborted. And see, so praise God, it was, I didn't even realize it till what the song was about and everything that came about. And I was like, wow, there's an example of, of what it does when someone chooses life. So praise God. I'm excited to be here this morning. And um, we, uh, like I said, there's some, a few CDs back there. And just uh, if you, just a donation or whatever you want to give. If you don't have any, anything to give, you want to take one, just do whatever you need to do. Just if you want one, take it. Uh, if you have something to give, give. If you don't, no big deal. Um, but I'm so excited to be uh, at Arena of Life. I haven't been here in a long time. But I got a word for you, but I got a testimony first. If I can give a testimony about the around the 1st of July, first week of July. Um, my wife, Selena, told me that she wanted to get a legal separation, which shocked me, rocked my world. I'd never been stunned like that in my life. I knew we weren't getting along, sleeping in separate rooms for a few weeks, and just neither one of us would budge. And, and it was just when she told me she wanted to separate, it, it floored me. So through a series of events, God showed me, you know, and the whole church was praying for Selena. Oh, Selena, you know, she's got a demon in her, you know. I'm like, what What could I do wrong? I've never, I don't cheat on you, don't beat on you. I, you got a new car and a credit card, you go, you, I let you do whatever you want. I'm not controlling what, what you know, what, what do you, uh, so God showed me, and I don't have time to get into the whole thing. He showed me through a game of pickleball, of all things, which I had never even, I'd heard of it, but had never played it. But my two boys were trying to play it, and they were arguing nonstop and fighting over the rules, and it dawned on me. I was like, hey, guys, stop this, because no one was clear on what the rules were. So when you don't know what the rules are, and you don't have a clear definition of a, a, a game plan, see, I'm, our, our lives were chaos I neglected, I didn't realize I was neglecting my family, when, but when Selena would get mad and be, you know, yelling at me about something, I'd be like, oh, she's crazy, she's psycho, she, you know, I, I'd be, I dealt with it by leaving. I'd go to the barn, go get on my motorcycle, go get on a horse, go do something, I'd say, I'll come back when you want to act normal. And I walked away from her in her hurt, in her frustration, because there was no order in our family, there was no it was just, she'd call and say, hey, can you come up and eat? I got supper on the table. I'd be like, oh, I'm in Indiana looking at a horse. Oh, well, where's our kids? Well, Elvis went to Tennessee to pick up a load of steers. Okay, where's Rio? I don't know. I haven't seen Rio. And it was just, well, tomorrow, you know, we have to go to this thing with my family. I'm like, oh, we can't. We're going to a horse sale in Oklahoma. You know, and she's like, I cannot live like this with no, and it was that, and, and with, I put, family last. But in, 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 so the whole church is praying for Selena, right? Everybody's praying. I'm like, Selena said she wants separation. The whole church praying. We have a prayer meeting. God, turn her around. Deliver her from this demon. <clears throat> and so God began to show me through that game of pickleball, it's chaos when no one knows the rules. And so I told Selena that God showed me that. And I said, I think that's what's wrong with our marriage. And she said, yes, yes, it is. And God began to speak to me and repair things. But she told me, I'm still leaving for a while. I want to get an apartment. I've already, you know, got the application. I already got it picked out. And, 
you know, I'll be living seven miles from here. We'll have the kids on certain days. And, and I mean, I could not have been, I'm like, this is not happening to me. This is not happening. God, you got, so she said, I will, the only way I will not move out is if God speaks to me in an audible voice and tells me not to move out. So I was at the barn saddling a horse. I was like, okay, God, you're a God of miracles. Speak. She said if you spoke and told her not to leave, she wouldn't leave. God, I'm believing for you to speak. And he spoke all right, but he didn't speak to her. He spoke to me. And he said, do you even know what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church? And I was like, of course I do. I've taught, I've preached about it. You, you gave your life for the church, so, you know, I should be. And he's like, okay, when's the last time you died on a cross for your wife? Well, never. Okay, then what's it mean? The Lord was like, what's it mean to love your wife as Christ loved the church? So I was like, oh, I don't know. Give her what she wants, and I'm not controlling. I let her go. And he's like, what does it mean to love her like Christ loved the church? So I did what any spiritual giant would do. I said, hey, Siri. What does it mean for to love your wife like Christ loved the church? <laughs> I'm a guy. We're cavemen. Help us. So it came up, ten ways to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And I only got past like the first two before I started repenting and my eyes opened up. For one, it said Christ never condemned the church. He didn't come to put down the church. He didn't call the church names. He didn't pointed finger, Christ took every fault of the church and he nailed it to a cross and he took those sins upon himself. He said everything that is wrong with Selena, even the arguments that were her fault when you were doing nothing and she just comes in being mean or whatever, he said all of that was because she is living in a 15-year deficit of her love bank being empty Oh, yeah, I took her on dates, bought her flowers, did all that stuff. But when she was hurting and telling me she was hurting, I would walk away. And I would say, you're crazy. I'll, when you want to be nice, I'll come back in the house. And God was like, that is so wrong. Every fault of hers is yours. You should have took that upon yourself the way I, Jesus spoke this to me. He said, did I, did I say I'll take 50% of your sins? Did I say I will take 50% of your anxieties? Did I say I would take 75%? So he said her problems are even not your problems joined. I, I've said it before. Well, you're, you know, if you have a problem, it's our problem. He's like, no, it's not our problem. You're the head of the house. It's your problem. Her anxieties become your worries. She is to cast everything on you, and you are to cast it on me, the Lord. So when I began to know, and God said, you've been living, he showed me a vision. He said, you've been living in this very small room, and I saw a vision. By this time, I was on the horse, and I don't even remember getting on the horse. I remember throwing a saddle on, and all of a sudden, I'm riding, and he shows me this little room that looks like a college kid's messy dorm with a TV and an old recliner with blankets on it, some empty soda cans, and a messy, he said, you've been living in this room and you've been trying to drag your wife into this room where you're comfortable, where you just do whatever you want and your family is last. Something else always comes first. He's like, if you will let me lead you into this huge room, and it was a room so big I couldn't see it. He said, and love her like Christ loved the church. I'll show you 
a better place and a better way to live. So I had to get to the point, and I understood that I don't care if the vet's coming to preg check cows. I don't care if somebody's coming to look at horses. I don't care what. I am not to go out of the house until I get her by the hand, look her in the eye, and say, what are you worried about today? Are there any wolves at your door today? Do you have any anxieties about anything? And if she says yes, we have a, a residential treat, treatment center and for 11 to 17-year-old boys like an orphanage, and they come to the church. We have an equine therapy program, and they ride horses. One time she told me, she said, I really don't like the kids riding horses through our backyard and past the windows of the house. And so I, I said, done deal. Done deal. I called the executive director and said, hey, if the boys want to go in the pasture, tell them to go on the other side of the barn. Don't, don't ride past this certain place. Don't come up. My wife needs privacy, and she don't want boys riding past the windows of the house when she, you know. what? So things like that. I said, okay, done deal. What else? What else? And here's another thing. God said, don't get down and pray when you're in an argument with her because I don't want to hear from half of you. Her and I are one. Yes, I can pray separately from her if we're not together, but when she's there, why would I want half of me to pray? And the Bible even tells us if you bring, if you come to an altar and you have a gift and that you have, your brother have ought against you or whatever, leave your gift at the altar, go make it right, then come back. We think that applies to everyone but our spouse. It applies especially to our spouse. So God told me, until you have things right with her, I don't want to hear it. Don't come to me with your prayers, your devotions. Unless you and her are squared away and good, I'm not saying she has to be with me physically, but she needs to be all right. So God said, it's not God, wife, then whatever. He said, when you put, now this is going to raise some Pentecostal eyebrows, as I said this morning, but he said, when you put her first, that is putting God first. Because God ordained the marriage, brought the marriage together. So when I put her first, that is put, not that she's equal to God. I'm not saying that. Hear my heart. Putting her first is pleasing to the Lord. When I put her first, I am putting God first. And when I begin to know that, I immediately repented. And I repented in front of the whole church. And I was preaching a sermon on what it meant to love Christ like he love our wives like Christ loved the church. And I'm giving this altar call. Me and her hadn't spoke hardly in a month or, or something other than just about the kids or anything like that. I didn't know she was watching the service online. And as I'm giving the altar call and, and people are standing, all of a sudden everybody in the church starts cheering. And I didn't know what they were cheering about. And I turned around and she was standing right behind me. And we embraced the biggest hug you've ever seen. And God has totally restored our marriage. And it is 150 times better than it's ever been. I cannot tell you how happy we are. And I'll tell you something else that got me through all this. Um, God is so good. Before any of this happened, I had a dream that she left. Before I even had a clue she would leave. And I had a dream that she came back 
and me and her embraced on the stage at church. And when we when that actually happened, I was like, oh my gosh, this is exactly where I was standing in my dream months ago when God showed me that she would leave and come back. Well, she never left all the way. Her stuff was all packed. I would get ready to go to church on a Sunday morning, and I'm stepping over these piles of her clothes that she's got packed. Do you want your faith tested? Try that. Try trusting God when everything looks, looks like it's going the wrong way. But I'm telling you, if you totally commit your way to him and just simply do what the word of God says, you'll be surprised how much easier life is. Amen? Praise God. Well, uh, hope you all come to hear a word this morning. Not going to keep you long because I hate boring preaching myself. I get tired of listening to my own voice after a little while. So, uh. I got a word for you this morning from the Lord, and it's called Instructions for Those That Miss the Rapture. And I'll tell you how I got this sermon. I was talking to my backslid cousin. He, uh, we raised him practically when he was younger. He's about five years younger than me. But he does well in construction and flipping houses and, and uh and all this, and he was kind of bragging about how many women he'd had over at his house, you know, night by night, and getting, getting, you know, this one not seeing the other one, and all this, and you know, he's got a women's ministry. You know, any men like that? He's got a women's ministry, and um, he was boasting of all his sin. I pointed at his face and I said, Dwayne. One day very soon you're going to wake up and there's going to be millions of Christians missing all over the world. It's going to come at an hour that you did not expect. A lot of people now on the Internet are trying to say there's no rapture. The scriptures were misinterpreted in all this. Yeah, okay, for 2,000 years everyone has had it wrong. Yeah, um, you know, even the great preachers in the past centuries uh, Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Sunday, Smith Wigglesworth, Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, Miles Monroe. Everyone has had it wrong, but Internet Boy in his mom's basement has figured out there's no rapture. God revealed it to Basement Boy. Well, let's, let's look what the Word of God says in Matthew 24, verse 40. Then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two women should be grinding at the mill, one should be taken in the other left. If that is not talking about the rapture, what in the world is it talking about? And if I were Satan, the main thing I would try to tell people is there was no rapture. So good job, Satan, on deceiving millions of people that claim to know who Jesus is. I want to ask you, do you believe what you read? Or do you just read the parts of the Bible that you believe? Revelation verse thir or chapter 13 said that there, there would be a, a, a mark in your hand you would have to have to buy or sell. Now we see all the videos, Amazon, buy with the palm of your hand. Wave a chip in front of a vending machine, get a candy bar, unlock your car. It sounded like a fantasy our whole lives, didn't it sound silly? But now we see it unfolding right in front of us. We, you know, we've seen the red heifers that came from Texas to, to Jerusalem. That's a 1,900-year prophecy being fulfilled. We've seen the Euphrates River dry up, which is prophesied in the Bible. 
We see springs raising up in the desert and rivers going down across the desert where there's no water that's ever been. Also, prophecy. Well, what's the difference in the rapture and the second coming? At the rapture is when we're caught up to be with him. A lot of you probably know this. At the second coming is when we are coming back with him. In the army, Revelation 19, verse 11, says this, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat up on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and his name was written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Look at verse 14. And the armies were, which were with, were in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Who are the armies that are with him? That's us. This is the second coming. Verse 15, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God on his vesture and on his thigh. A name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It says the armies of heaven come with him. That is talking about us. We are coming with him to fight the battle of Armageddon. So if there's no rapture, how did we get there? And if some people believe we're going to go through the tribulation, well, I tell people, well, if you want to, go ahead. <clears throat> but if we're going to go through the tribulation, uh, this proves that we are already with Jesus while tribulation is going on. We've already picked out our horses and learned how to ride, some of us. If any of them is missing a shoe, call Pastor Travis. And there'll be no boys riding side saddle in that army. Amen. The rapture is the blessing for the saints. The second coming is the judgment for the wicked. There'll be no crooked politician or no dominion voting machine that can save anybody on that day. Just threw that in. The rapture could happen at any moment. The second coming will be seven years after. So if you still believe there's no rapture, look at Titus 2, 13. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So if you believe the Christmas story, if you believe there was a baby Jesus that came in a manger, you also have to believe this. John 14, verse 1 says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you can be also. He said he's coming again. We know he came in a manger. He said he's coming again. So if you want to call it the rapture, you want to call it a catching away, I don't care what you call it. I'm just glad that he said he's coming again. Another proof I believe that we won't go through tribulation is this. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. And to wait for his son from heaven, which he, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, watch this, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come is tribulation. That is the end of earth. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy 
or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence are of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? He said we were going to be with him when he comes. For ye are glory and joy. 1 Thessalonians 3.13. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in the holiness before God, even our Father. Look here. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That's the second coming. It's no accident that you're here. God ordained this day before your birth. A little more word for you, 1 Thessalonians verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. He said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even them that which sleep in Jesus will God bring unto him. For this we say unto you of the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. And so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hey, when's the last time you comforted someone with those words that lost a loved one that said, I'll never get over my wife dying or my child dying? I say, you know what? This life is very short. James said it's like a vapor. We're here for just a minute. We're all getting out of here very soon. We have to comfort each other with the fact that Jesus is coming, and one day this earth might be just a faintest memory. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 9, another proof that we're not going to go through the tribulation. It says, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. You know what salvation means when you're saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God. He says, by our Lord Jesus Christ. So there will be seven years of tribulation that is for the Jews to repent and for the eyes, their eyes to be opened to the Antichrist to worship the real Christ and for the Gentiles who will not receive the mark of the beast. So now that we all believe in the rapture again, I can start my sermon. Praise God. No, I'm just joking. Um, I told my cousin that inspired this sermon, won't say he gave me this sermon, but bragging of his sin, I told him, this is more things that you can expect if you miss the rapture. I told him when you miss the rapture because he didn't act like he was about to repent anytime soon. I said, Dwayne, here's what I want you to think about. Imagine driverless cars all over the interstates, planes with no pilots, trains with no engineers, They've tried to depict this in movies, but they won't even be, it'll make 9-11 look like a picnic. Um, imagine a planet with no children. <clears throat> imagine a planet where preachers and priests will be confronted. They will be hiding because people will say, we trusted you because you were the hip church, you were the cool church, you were the convenient church. Why didn't we look for the truth instead of entertainment? We went to the wine-bibbing pastor's church. We went to the, 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 the cigar-smoking 
uh, pastor's church. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 lists a lot of people that's not going to go to heaven. You know what one of them is? One of them is drunkards. No drunkards will go to heaven. You know why Solid Rock Church that I pastor don't hardly have any guest preachers and guest singers? I've had friends of mine that are Grammy Award winners that I had to part ways with because it's popular now. All these pastors are drinking now. Then before I have any musical guest or anybody, I'm like, do you drink and do you vote for baby killers? I flat ask them. Some of them are big-time famous people. Well, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a woman's right to choose. Bye. There ain't no way no baby killer's setting foot on my platform. And if you vote for them, you're just as guilty. Bye. Do you drink alcohol? Well, I might have a couple of little wine with my wife. The Bible says no drunkards will enter heaven. Proverbs 23, verse 32 says don't look upon any strong drink. It didn't say two ounces or 40 gallons. It didn't give an amount. It said don't even look upon it. It'll make you behold strange women and utter perverse things. Over 75, 75 times in the Bible, in the, mostly in the New Testament, it says be sober. Be sober. You tell me you drink and don't get a buzz, I want to call you a liar. Well, he, he probably not mad at me. He just going to the restroom, I think. Yeah, he's just going to the restroom. I, I thought he's, he's, I need a beer. Uh, <laughs> Lord, help him. No, he'll be right back. One time I, I was preaching against the sin of homosexuality, and a guy done the same thing. Got up, walked out, and I thought, whoa. I, struck, I thought, hey, he must be gay or whatever. And, you know, about five minutes later, he came, walked back, and sat down. I said, brother, you picked the worst time to get up. <laughs> I said, because I said something about the sin of homosexuality, you got I said, guess what I thought you were? All the way to the door. Next time, wait till they're preaching on tithes or something. Don't, don't get up when they say that. Good Lord. The highway patrol says buzzed driving is drunk driving. I asked a guy one time that was an avid sitter. I mean, Live for the devil wide open. I said, can you tell the difference in your psyche or whatever when you just have one beer? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, it calms me right down. He said, after I rope or whatever, he said, you know, he said, I, I would say, oh, I need a beer. He said, it calms me right down. So I said, so it alters you a little. He goes, oh, yeah, but that makes you want two and three and whatever. So if the highway patrol says drunk driving, or I'm sorry, buzzed driving is drunk driving, does the highway patrol have a higher word, higher standard than the word of God? 1 Corinthians 6 says, if you're a drunkard, means somebody that gets their mind altered from a sober state, says you're not going to heaven. Do you want to test God's local, his, uh, what was it called, the legal limit? Do you want to test God's legal limit? Do you think if you miss the coming of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, you will be sorry that you sold out so cheap for something that's a little, bug, a little buzz. And these cigar-smoking, wine-bibbing, dirty-joke-telling dirty pastors are going to have a lot of explaining to do why they're still here after the rapture. It, second thing to do, if you miss the rapture, don't blame, don't blame God. You've heard this your whole life. 
Remember how you felt after 9-11? After the Twin Towers fell, you felt shocked, didn't you? Well, this will seem a thousand times more unreal and worse. This church will have the biggest crowd it's ever seen five minutes after the rapture. Five minutes after the rapture, this church will be over packed and people jumping over people try to get in here, all of a sudden you'll realize that you are living in tribulation. You need to read your Bible to see because it will tell you what's coming next and all of a sudden you will have time to read it. All of a sudden you won't think about the score of the game during church. All of a sudden you will be sad that you put everything else in front of the house of God. When the Bible says, have no idols before me, have no other gods before me, people have made a God out of sports. Let me tell you something. I got two sons, Rio and Elvis. They wrestled a couple years ago in kids wrestling, and I told them, I said, they can come to every practice. I just want them to learn how to wrestle. I didn't care if they went to the tournament. They said, all the meets are on Sundays. I said, well, we will miss all the meets. They said, you can't let them come to one. I said, no. So they, they, they called me one time and said, hey, we got a tournament on Thursday. Your boys are beasts at wrestling. They said they could do well in this tournament. So I said, okay, we can go to the tournament on Thursday. We went to this tournament. 250 kids in this tournament. Elvis and Rio, my two boys, both went through that whole tournament undefeated and won gold medals at that tournament. The coaches came up to me and said, I need your boys on Sunday. I said, no, I need your boys on Sunday. Do you think I would be so stupid as to take a chance on my son's never dying soul for a dang medal and miss out on the house of God and worship my creator? I don't care if they're the best wrestlers in the world. There is no way on earth I would take my, Elvis, hey, Daddy, can I go to this jackpot on Sunday morning? Nope. Daddy, I want a rope. I'm going to rope. I said, you, you can rope six other days a week. You're not going to anything on Sunday morning. Well, they start the jackpot at one. I said, tell them to start it at two. They're not going to change the whole thing just for me. I said, then tell them that, that you're not going. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you a story. I got two, my first cousin has two sons, Jordan and Cody. Jordan, you would love to have him in this church. He can run your social media. He, he is a class A drummer. He can run sound. He can run lights. He can do administrative work. He is a ministry machine. He can do anything in the church. He's got an older brother named Cody. They're in their 30s now. Cody is a complete inbred. In church, one week, out of church, bar fights, Hospital from being in bar fights, uh, also has a women's ministry. You know, every time, every time I see his mom and dad, how's Cody? Well, he's in church. He's doing pretty good. He's he's been coming to church for about a month. He's been next time I see him. How's Cody? Hey, back out to the bars. So Selena asked him one time, and I don't know. I'm just I'm just telling you the truth. She said was asking Jimmy and Diane, their their parents, my first cousins. She said. What in the world? Jordan is such an awesome guy. Can preach, do anything in church. She goes, what in the world happened to Cody? She said, I'll tell you what happened to Cody. My, my cousin's wife, Diane, and she is a powerful preacher. She said, I'll tell you what happened to Cody. Select baseball. <laughs> <laughs> 
We took Cody out of church from seventh grade to 12th grade because he, we thought, oh, he's going to be pro. She said, out of church that many years, and she said, we never got him back from the world. All that that he missed. Is he playing pro baseball? No. Working at a factory, partying, doing his thing. Let me tell you something. There is nothing more important than having your children in the house of God. I don't care what comes or what opportunities. I'm not saying they can't ever miss. If it's obviously a state tournament or something, they got to be out there. But missing church, uh, uh, we ain't doing it. I don't care what they miss. I want them to go to heaven more than I want them to have any belt buckle, any trophy, anything like that. My boys are going to serve the Lord in my house. You need to realize if you miss the coming of the Lord that you need to join up with other people that will reject the Antichrist and join up with them. Trust no one because there will be rewards for turning people in that don't have the mark of the beast. Oh, we already seen that didn't, during COVID, didn't we? People turning people in for going to church, putting, uh, taking pictures of people's license plates, you know, uh, taking pictures of people not wearing masks. People were turning each other in for businesses staying open. If you miss the coming of the Lord, don't be in the city because the Bible says there will be earthquakes, floods, war. You better go hide in the wilderness. If you miss the rapture, have a seven-year survival plan. You need to learn to hunt, grow food. You need to learn to fish because Revelation 13, 17 said, no man might buy or sell lest he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. You will not be able to buy anything, and this will definitely happen soon to people who do not live for Jesus with all their heart now. One more instruction, no matter how hungry you get, no matter how cold you get, do not take the mark of the beast or you will be doomed for eternity. And I got, I got news for you. It's not going to have a, a sign that says, sign up here for the mark of the beast. My dad said even when I was a kid that it would come through health care. 50 years ago, he was saying that, that the mark of the beast would come through health care. Don't the devil always come as an angel of light? Prepare to be a martyr if you miss the rapture. Be willing to give your head. Some people say, well, I'll just miss the rapture, but I'll just give my head. You know, I'll give up my head. I'm like, you can't even give up porn. How are you going to give your head? You can't even give up all your gods that you idolize more than the house of God and the word of God. You can't even give up lukewarmness. How are you going to give your head if you can't live for God now? Most people, COVID was a big test run for the Antichrist. I'm telling you what, most churches and most people that didn't listen to the Holy Ghost and did everything Dr. Fauci and that pedophile Bill Gates told them to do, yeah, he, he went on trips with Jeffrey Epstein after he was arrested for being a pedophile, so don't tell me. So you're going to listen to a pedophile, and it's Dr. Fauci that is the, the most evil thing I've ever seen. They listened to him more than the Holy Ghost and what the Word of God said to do. Those people, if they did everything Fauci said for fear of losing their job, what do you think you'll do to keep from losing your head? I can hear the air conditioner running. I'm not sure. Hey, I'll tell you this. I would rather you cuss me now and hug me in heaven 
then hug me now and cuss me in hell. I really want you to make the coming of the Lord. I, I know you feel like you're getting beat with a baseball bat right now, but I'm telling you, I'm doing it because I love you. I'm doing it because I desperately want to be in heaven with you. I don't want you to be pounding your fist on the altar five minutes after the rapture and saying, why, 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 why was I a fool? Revelation 8, chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 10, I don't, you'll have to find your own plan for this. It says, the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. The third part of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and a mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. A third part of the sea became blood. A third part of the creatures that were in the sea uh, were killed. Um, a third part of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10, the third angel sound, there fell a great star from heaven burning as a lamp. Fell upon the third part of the rivers and the fountains of waters. Listen, I love you enough to tell you, don't be lukewarm and miss this. Uh, what's going to happen on the earth is going to be awful. But my final instruction to you is don't be here after the rapture. God had you appointed here today for a reason. Hear this preacher from Ohio that came to tell you, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. They can come to the piano so people think I'm done. Right, Pastor Ronnie? Paul's dying words were this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, for I am now ready to be offered, and my time of departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, and I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. Now why would you look forward to his appearing. Only one reason. Because you know you're ready. I used to sit on the porch with my grandpa, my mom's dad, when he was 86. My mom moved him up from Tennessee and bought him a house right next to my mom and dad's ranch at that time so she could be close to him. And I used to go and sit with him on the porch and he told me one time that his dad, he'd cry over missing his dad. He said, my mom was the meanest woman I've ever seen in my life. He said, oh, she was mean to my daddy. And the only memory I have of my great-grandma, I was probably three years old. I remember we were all at their house for Christmas one time, like a whole big house full of people, and she called the cops on all of us and told the cops she wanted everybody out of her house. And the cops came and here we go, okay, we'll take our gifts and go. She was a crazy, mean woman. And he told me back in those days when he was, I guess if he was alive now, he'd be 100 or more. But this was 15, 20 years ago. And he, was, he said, back in those days, you could have someone committed to a mental institution. You just told them somebody was crazy and the white coats would come and get them and take them to a, uh, mental institution and keep them indefinitely and he said 
My great-grandmother, he, he said, my mother had my dad admitted to a mental institution. And he said, I was 12 years old. He said, I had to make a living for the family. He said, I chopped wood every day till my hands bled. He said, I made railroad ties with a hewing axe. He said, I could, they had to be eight inches by 16 inches, or, and they had to be, I, I can't remember, the eight by eight by 16 foot long, I think. He said, I could make four of them a day, and I'd carry them and put them on a wagon, and a mule would pull the wagon, and I forget, he got like a quarter per railroad tie, so he got like a dollar a day, I think, something like that. And he said, every night I would go home. Pray for my daddy to come back. He said, Jesus, please bring my daddy back. He said, my mom would hear me praying and she said, you shut up. Your daddy ain't never coming back. You'll never see him again. And he said, but I kept praying. God, please bring my daddy back. She'd hear me. She'd say, you shut that up. Don't you ever mention that. He's never coming back here. He said, I would go chop wood. I would go make the railroad ties, and I'd walk home. He said, sometimes I drove a mule. And he said, I was driving this mule in a buggy. And he said, I looked down. It was in Waverly, Tennessee, 70 miles from Nashville. He was in the mental institution in Nashville. He said, 70 miles, nobody had any cars. He said, it might as well have been 7,000 miles. But he said, I was driving this mule. And he said, a long way off, I could see a man walking. Dirt road coming towards me. He said, wonder who that man is. Ain't nothing on the other, where he's coming from, there ain't nothing over there. <clears throat> He said, and I just kept driving my mule, going towards that man. He said, he got a little bit closer. He said, that man kind of walks like my daddy, but that can't be him because they said he's never coming back. He said, he got a little bit closer. He said, that man looks like he's got red hair, like my daddy. My daddy's got red hair, but they said, there ain't no way that can be him because he's never coming back. He said, I got a little bit closer. He said, I stood up on that buggy. He said, I said, Daddy, is that you? He said, yeah, son, it's me. He said, I whipped that mule. He said, I ran. He said, I jumped off there. He said, you talk about a reunion we had. He said, and he came home, and he said, and I was so happy, and he never let her run him off again. And I think about that today, and I think about people saying there's going to be a chip in your hand. You can't buy or sell. And I say, that looks like my daddy. Oh, but they say he's not coming. Then we see the red heifers going to Jerusalem. Oh, he's not coming, but that looks like my daddy. And we see the Euphrates River drying up. They said he's not coming, but that looks like my daddy. I'm telling you what, I know forever they've said he's not coming back. But he's coming, he's coming. As sure as I'm sitting here, Jesus is coming. You better get yourself ready. Can I tell you one more story? 
and then I promise I'll be done. Nobody said yes. Okay, all right, thanks. I'd really feel stupid if y'all said no. <clears throat> but I got a million stories. I have a million stories. But there was, I just, my mom's first cousin, Larry Gabbard, drove race cars since I was little. I was in the first grade. He gave me a race car trophy and the keys to a race car. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Larry was always so nice and generous. He was on my mom's side of the family. And then he would flag NASCAR races and they're all big in the race. And one time they're like, turn it on, turn it on. I never watched NASCAR. They're like, turn it on. Larry's flagging the race and he's doing something like turn on the TV. And there's a big fight in the infield and it's all my cousins. There's Robbie and Joel and little Joel and Larry and they're all out there. I'm like, yay, my family famous finally you know we achieved fame being on a fight in a NASCAR race but Larry was always sick for some reason he was real skinny but he had a real big belly and and he always had trouble with his liver and stuff and then when Larry was about 60 years old maybe 20 years ago he died and I was like why was Larry I asked his brother at the funeral I said why was Larry always sick he, I said, I remember him, him being in the hospital. He goes, you don't know what happened to Larry? I said, no. He said he had a blood transfusion when he was younger, and he got bad blood. That's before they would check the blood, and he got all kinds of hepatitis and stuff that ruined his liver and stuff. And he goes, you don't know what happened? I said, no. He said, well, you know, your, our other cousin told me his name. I said, yeah. I met him. He lives in Michigan, my mom's other cousin. He said, well, Larry and him and his wife, the other guy and his wife, not Larry's wife, Larry was single, were walking down the road in Detroit. And this gang of thugs came up and started harassing Larry's cousin's wife. Well, Larry's cousin and my cousin got scared and took off running and Larry had to take up for this man's wife. And he's like, hey, get off her. Don't touch her. Don't say that. You know. and, and so these guys, Larry fought them as long as he could fight them. There's four or five of them. <clears throat> and the woman took off running too, his cousin's wife. And somebody came up behind Larry and hit him with a lead pipe in the head. And he laid there and his blood drained down the streets of Detroit and they had to give a, him a blood transfusion to save his life. And I got so mad when I heard that story. I said, so Larry gave up his good blood for some chicken that didn't deserve it, didn't earn it. He was defending the honor of another man's wife, which he shouldn't have had to do. I said, he spilled his good blood for this guy that's not even a man, that left Larry there fighting four or five guys? Are you kidding me? And I said, I hope I never see that other, other cousin again because I'd probably want to slap him. I mean, I just got really angry. I thought, who could do this? Can you imagine running off and leaving your, your first cousin fighting four or five dudes for your wife? I got so angry, I said, Larry, spilled his good blood and got tainted blood for someone that didn't appreciate it, didn't deserve it, 
shouldn't have even had it. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, you know what? I know something about shedding blood for people that don't appreciate it. He shed his blood on that cross. And how do we treat his house? Oh, we look at our phones, seeing them on Facebook during church. Oh, do we have to go? We went last week. Do we put everything in the world? Yeah, we'll come to church if nobody's having a cookout or a picnic or it's not bowling day or, or baseball day or, or soccer day. Or Jesus said, I know something about spilling my blood for people that do not care what I've done for them on the cross. People that don't deserve it, people like me, that don't deserve his blood, that don't deserve his forgiveness. Oh, I'm trying to serve him as wide open as I can. I told him this morning a story. I was getting pumping diesel fuel the other day, and there was this big black guy that was in the pumps next to me, and, and he was, he was, bumping nasty rap music. His pants were hanging down to here. He had one of them do-rag things on his head. And I said, Holy Ghost, tell me what to say. Here I am with a 30-foot horse trailer full of horses. I got on tall top boots and spurs and a hat. And nothing in common with this guy. But let me tell you, when you got the Holy Ghost, you don't need to have anything in common. He was the opposite of me in every way. But I looked at him and I said, Sir. He said, What? He looked at me like, Why are you speaking to me? I said, I want to ask you a question. And he said, what? It's a question. And I was like, yeah, Lord, what is the question? Thank you, something fast. He's big. It just came out of my mouth. I've learned to just open my mouth and let the Holy Ghost just say what he's going to say. I said, who's praying for you? He said, what? I said, who's praying for you? He said, what do you mean who's praying for me? I said, your mom, your grandma, your dad, your brother. Somebody is praying prayer. He said, yeah, people are praying for me. How do you know people are praying for me? I said, because their prayers got answered right now. Because guess what I am? He said, what? I said, a soul winner. And Jesus told me to tell you he wants you to go to heaven when you die. And the only way you can do that is if you got the blood of Jesus applied. If you tell the devil no and tell Jesus yes. And I preached to him for about five minutes. And he said, man, shut up. Let's do it. Let's pray. And we, we prayed right there. I took him through a sinner's prayer. He hugged me and said, I love you, man. I said, I love you too, buddy. Because when I get to heaven, it's not going to matter what my belt buckle says. It's not going to matter how many horses or how many cattle I have or the achievements I've done. But what have I done for the kingdom? I'm not saved by works. I'm not saying I'm saved by the works. But he said, be hot or cold because if you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. He said, every unproductive branch on a tree will be cut off and thrown in the fire. What do you think that represents? Fire represents hell. He didn't say the branch wasn't connected to the tree. There's going to a lot of, a lot of people in church say, oh, yeah, I'm connected to Jesus. Look, I got the necklace. They're connected. But he said, every unproductive branch will be cut off. Are you productive for the kingdom today? 
People might call me legalistic. I say, oh, you live farther to the right than you need to. Listen, if I live closer to Jesus than I need to, the only thing that happened to me is he talks to me, he speaks to me, he shows me visions and dreams and things that I could never know. He showed me word by word, step by step, what to do and to say how to repair my marriage with my wife that seemed like it was impossible. Yeah, if I've lived closer to God, then I really have to. Those are the terrible, awful things that happen to me, is that he talks to me and he instructs me in my life. A lot of preachers say, man, you don't have to live it so, you don't have to live it so, yeah, you could live a little further to the left if this is the center. Oh, oh well, why don't you try living right here and just, you know, you got grace for that, dude. Yeah, but what if, I, what if I'm here when he comes? What if, I'm, what if I'm one inch left of center and he said, I'm not taking no lukewarm Christian in the rapture with me. He's, all he's going to do, I heard one preacher say, is when the rapture comes, Jesus is just going to say, Holy Ghost, come home. Everybody that's full of the Holy Ghost, got the Holy Ghost of God in them, is going is to come. People that are empty, people that are lukewarm, they're not going to hear that. They're still going to be listening to Fauci and, and, and the rest of them. They're going, to be, they're going to be doing whatever the world does. I want you all to stand with me, if you would. And, and I know this is not a happy, clappy message. But I don't know who I come for today. But I desperately want to be in heaven with every one of you. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We pray that you heard from God and that this message was for you. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people with this message. Arena of Life takes pride in connecting to God, to church, and to people. And we want to connect with you. So don't forget to check us out on all social media platforms, to check out our website, arenaoflifechurch.org, and to download the Church Center app and to choose Arena of Life as your church. And a special thanks to those who make a difference by giving generously. You help us change lives and produce weekly content like this that reaches the world. If you're interested in partnering with us, you can give by clicking the link in our bio through the website arenaoflifechurch.org or through the Church Center app. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And we'll see you next week. Music.